Welcome to Northern Goal, the football podcast from the Evening Express and Press and Journal. I'm Jamie Durant, sitting in for Ryan Cryle this week to take you through another fascinating week in North football. However, I'm not sat here alone. Joining me are two men who love the Shire more than Bilbo Baggins. It's Callum Law and Paul Third. How are we, guys? Very well. All right, and you? I'm grand. Um, probably better than than I've been an Aberdeen supporter this week on the back of that three uh, 0 Scottish Cup defeat to Dundee United on Sunday, which came courtesy of goals from Mark McNulty and Ryan Edwards, which ended the Dons' chances of picking up silverware this season. Paul, obviously you were at the game, three 0 defeat for Aberdeen. Is it? Is it a sign of just how much work Stephen Glass has to do in these kind of coming weeks and months? That's the understatement of the week, I think. It, <laughs> it wasn't one step forward, two steps back. I felt like we'd travel back 100 metres. It was horrendous. Um, the difference between Sunday's performance to the display against Celtic just a few days earlier, it was night and day. Aberdeen were so far off the pace, it was incredible. It's not that they lost a quarter-final, but it's the manner in which they were systematically ripped to shreds which came as the biggest shock to me sitting watching it. We all know there's an attacking malfunction at Petaudry and it's continuing, but the defensive side simply wasn't there to compensate on Sunday. It reminded me of when they were turned over up at Ross County earlier in the season and when Motherwell came to Petaudry and, and thrashed them, I think it was 3-0 then as well in the league at the start of the season. Just rubbish. It was just terrible. Who are we talking about next? <laughs> I just thought watching it, though, there was a real lack of adaptability, I thought, in the way that the Dons tried to play. It's like we've heard about attractive and entertaining football and playing out from the back and whatever you like, but anybody that's what and I'm sure in preparation, Aberdeen's coaching staff had watched plenty of Dundee United games, but anybody that's watched Dundee United this season knows that what they like to do is press and press you high up the park. And Mickey, Me- if you listen to Mickey Mellon, he stands on the touchline and all he shouts for the whole 90 minutes is press, 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 press. And try- in Aberdeen, they were trying to play out from the back. And to me, it became abundantly clear after about 15 minutes that with the way United were pressing them, the Dons weren't going to be able to play through it, p- play through the press often enough. Therefore, you're going to put yourself under pressure. You're going to get caught. And when, as players and as management, when you see that happening and you know that's happening, surely you've then got to think about changing it up a bit and you know play a bit longer, hit strikers or hit channels and at least get yourself up the park. Because if you look at the first goal, Gary, it's the try to play out, then Gary Woods, clips it into Camberry, but the problem you've got is when the ball, I mean, Camberry was appealing for a foul, which quite frankly it just wasn't, but uh, once the ball bounces off Camberry, you've got the Aberdeen defence and Dean Campbell are too deep because they've been on the edge of their area looking to play out. They're too deep, so the ball drops on Nicky Clark, who then finds Shankland, and there's no pressure on them. There's nobody there to even contest the second ball, which is part of the problem if you're then trying to play out and then you have to go long because you've failed. So I just thought, Ken, that was pretty clear from the outset what was happening, but they never really found a way around that or never changed their approach, which disappointed me. After the kind of the early optimism of 
the Stephen Glass era, obviously kind of coming through the Livingston game on penalties and then the kind of the battling draw with Celtic. Is this a little bit of a reality check, really? And it kind of brings them back down to earth. I, I'd say so, but let, let, let's be honest here. Stephen Glass is not a miracle worker. I thought the Dons had a good chance of maybe reaching a final. And I didn't see Sunday's result coming after the Celtic display. But we should give Dundee United some credit here as well. They were excellent. I don't watch them every week, but it was easily their best display against Aberdeen this season. But I guess we're talking about the Dons, and yes, it is a reality check, and it's only salt's been rubbed into the wounds with St Johnston then going to Ibrox and, and knocking Rangers out just a few hours after that shocker at Petaudry. That's what really will be sticking in the craw of everyone at Petaudry or Cormac Park, I guess, where they're, they're going to be today. They'll really be feeling it now because they'll know this was a great chance now given what's happened and we've blown it. I do think as much as the Celtic performance was parts of it certainly all right and they're, I suppose disappoint, disappointing not to win but a draw can, given previous results against Celtic maybe wasn't a bad outcome but I do think if you actually look at that performance in the cold light of day yes Lewis Ferguson has a great and Johnny Hayes had great chances to make it 2-0 and you win the game but if you look at the number of opportunities Celtic had on another night they could have put five past Aberdeen I'm the and it's like so I'd, I th- to me I thought a lot of people got carried away to a degree with that performance and that result whereas assessing the actual if you take the result out of it a wee bit assessing the actual game I didn't think it was quite merited the hype if I'm honest but thirdly you were mentioning the St Johnston result I mean to me that just sums up really and it's I suppose the season as a whole for Aberdeen just massive missed opportunity you look at the League Cup the semi-finalists Hibs, St Johnston, St Mirren and Livingston you now look at the Scottish Cup uh, Hibs, Dundee United, St Mirren and St Johnston those are the sort of having run into Ken Celtic in semi-finals and finals so much in recent years, these sort of seasons where both Celtic and Rangers are out of the Cups early, are the sort of seasons Aberdeen fans and people at the club, you, the sort of seasons you dream about because it opens it up to anybody, but can they, unfortunately the Dons haven't been good enough to actually get themselves into that the last four in either competition and give themselves a shot at a trophy. Do you feel like you can you can almost kind of evaluate the season now, given that it's there's going to be no silverware in there, it's likely going to be a fourth place finish unless Hibs collapse spectacularly. Obviously, you've had the managerial change in there as well, but how, how much on the positive side of things do you feel you can kind of take out of the season as a whole? <sighs> That's a question and a half. Um, how would you sum up this season? Inconsistent. That's a word that comes to mind. But when you look at it overall, we're going to reflect back and say, how poor was their January window? I think that's been a massive factor in what's happened here and and put Aberdeen in the situation they're now in. Sam Cosgrove was off a boil. Curtis Mayen wasn't cutting it. Marley Watkins was heading back to Bristol. Um, Derek McInnes has been held accountable for Aberdeen's deficiencies by losing his job. But you've got to also think, well, what's the chairman's role? In this, it's worthy of discussion. Um, clearly, changes were being planned in the dugout, and Dave Cormack, it looks to me, was reluctant to sanction permanent transfers for a manager who would not be here next season. 
which is why McInnes went for loan players in Flo Camberry, Fraser Hornby and Callum Henry. Now, McInnes said last week when he was doing the media rounds for the broadcasters for the Scottish Cup that he was going to be leaving in the summer. If that was the situation, presumably a discussion had been held between the chairman and the former manager about that. And it then begs the question, if we know that's going to be the outcome, why didn't they make a change there and then? For what it's worth, the best of the replacements has been Callum Henry, but he suffers from the same inconsistency which his teammates have. He was very good against Celtic, worked hard, was didn't give the back four any peace, but he was nowhere to be seen against Dundee United. That's Aberdeen season in a nutshell. They can't go from one game to the other with any consistency since that Scottish Cup semi-final that was finishing off last season. That was when Aberdeen season effectively ended. They've hardly kicked a ball since. Yeah, pretty much spot on with that, uh, I would say, Paul. I think with the, the January window as well, even with what you've said about Derek McInnes leaving and Dave Cormack not wanting to sanction permanent transfers, what I still don't understand is, I know Sam Cosgrove wasn't really scoring, but he was still Ken Aberdeen's main striker and this, I suppose the, the talisman, if you will, even though he didn't have a great season. And Dave Cormack has since admitted that he and Derek McInnes were expecting to lose Sam Cosgrove in that window. They were expecting to sell him. So I just don't understand why there couldn't have been something done or things put in place to have a replacement brought in before he went, or how, or at the very least, have so be close to something being arranged because the signing of the three strikers on deadline day just felt very scattergun to me, really, in terms of the approach. The other thing which has damaged their season massively was selling Scott Wright on deadline day and then. Two days later, against Livingston, Ryan Hedges gets injured and he's out for the season. In terms of the creative side, that has damaged their season massively. And I'm, I mean, even in the I spoke about the cups and the missed opportunities, but even in the league, if you think back to October, November time, there was a you were talking about Aberdeen potentially being able to finish second, and you look at where they are now fourth and a kind of distant fourth at that and it's just how things have been able to slide like the halves and incredible really we've got what three games left now before the end of the season starting with Livingston away on Saturday does well just firstly does Stephen Glass use these last few games to try a few things now for next season and kind of also do you feel he's maybe made his mind up on one or two players um given that maybe folk that maybe haven't showed what they're capable of in these three games or kind of conversely folk that have shown in these three games that they can be part of um, part of his plans for next season? Well, again, it's a big one. I think you look at Saturday first of all and they've got to go to Livingston and they need a point to make sure they finish fourth and secure Europa League football for next season. Looking longer term in the start of next season, I guess, it's clear this Aberdeen team it's reached the end of its life expectancy in its current form and it does need an overhaul. Um, they need recognised fullbacks in there, whether that's going to be Jack McKenzie and Calvin Ramsey or more experienced guys. 
they need to get Johnny Hayes further up the park. He's a very good player, but he's never a left back as far as I'm concerned. They need to decide what position Ross McCrory is going to be playing in and keep him there so they can actually get the best out of him. It's unfair to the lad himself, I think. I suspect it's going to end up being in defence, especially with Scott Brown coming in. Uh, hopefully Brown is going to give Aberdeen more control in games because that's what they're really lacking. I think it was 28% against Celtic was all they had. Now, when they were on the ball, they were good with it, but they're not on the ball enough and they need to have more control, especially against the, the bigger teams in the division. And most importantly, they need more creativity and they need strikers. The forward line is far too pedestrian with the guys we've got at the minute. So not a lot to do, really. <laughs> I think I think when you look uh, def- defensively as well, um, it's clear that Stephen Glass is going to be trying to bring in players who are comfortable with the ball at their feet as well as being able to defend because, I mean, not just looking at Sunday, but more generally, it's like if you look at the say the centre-backs that are currently at the club, Ash Taylor, we know, is not particularly comfortable with the ball at his feet. Tommy Hoban showed on Sunday he was not particularly comfortable. You'd probably say Andy Considine out of the three is the most comfortable in terms of playing out, but again, is that really within his comfort zone? I would probably say no, so I'd be interested to see what he does on that front, because as much as you can get uh, players in to play at the back who are comfortable playing out, they also need, to me, to me anyway, they also first and foremost need to be solid defenders. So I think that would be quite interesting to see how the de- the defence looks comes come the start of next season. I understand they want to keep Hoban. I think they want to keep Ash Taylor. Um, I don't think Shea Logan will be here, clearly. Um, but in, in terms of short term, when you look at the bench from Sunday, it's clear Stephen Class doesn't actually have an awful lot of options in terms of changing his starting 11. I mean, how many more young lads can we throw in, really? Um, there's decisions to be made on out-of-contract players, and surely Glass has to assess them in the remaining matches, first of all. But his first priority, as I touched on earlier, is European football. So if they get the result at Livingston and, and achieve their aim, then maybe that's it and he can throw in the young lads. But if the Hibs game is still live in a couple of weeks' time in terms of third place, then he has to stick with these senior guys and, and just go for broke and see what happens. But if the season's finished, I would throw in the young lads. But the only thing in the back of my mind is, unless the manager is still trying to formulate his own opinions on some of these guys in terms of their future. If they're not there, it tells me he's made his mind up. Absolutely. It'll be an interesting few weeks ahead, particularly for the Dons um, coming ahead to the end of the season. And that's it for part one of the podcast. And in part two, we'll move on to discuss our Highland clubs. And we'll now move on to discussing our two Highland clubs who had have had kind of uh, different fortunes of late. Uh, Inverness had been on a kind of a brilliant run towards the playoffs, but the season is all but over after the 3-0 defeat to Hearts on Saturday. Um, the goals kind of came in the first half with a brace from Gary Mackay-Steven and another from Aaron McAneff, which with Dunfermline's win at home to Arbroath means it's mathematically impossible for Cali Thistle to make the playoffs on the last game of the season against A United on Friday. 
Um, the season's effectively over for, for Inverness now, guys. Do they take the positives that they've got themselves that they got themselves into a position to be challenging, or with the run that they were on, is there a little bit of a sense of a of a missed opportunity? Do you feel it is a missed opportunity? It must be so frustrating to get back within touching distance, only to chuck it right to death. The draw with Dundee really killed them a week ago. It, it piled the pressure on for a trip to Trencastle to face a Hearts team that was effectively in title party mode under no pressure at all. Um, I was looking at Duncan Shearer's column in the Press and Journal this morning and he hit the nail on the head when he says, if you go and just look at league table, 11 draws from 26 matches. That's why Carly Thistle have fallen short. The thing with Carly Thistle this season as well, guys, it's always felt to me, even from the early weeks of the season, it's always sort of felt like they were playing catch-up a little bit in terms of being in contention. And, I mean, they went through that run sort of November, December, January, where they, you know, ended up piling up a lot of games in hand and things like that. And they've always just been playing catch-up and never quite managed to get in the position they would like to. I think it is disappointing that they've missed out in the playoffs. And, I mean, that was, I think, the pretty clear target at the beginning of the season but I do think you can find some positives in it because if you look at where they were a few weeks ago, six weeks ago say, it's not so long ago that we on this podcast we were talking about potentially staying out of relegation trouble and contrast that with where they are now they've put together a really good run to try and make it and they've come up short unfortunately which is disappointing but I think the sort of spirit they've shown and the way they've they have challenged is quite encouraging to be honest. Do you put a caveat on it because of the managerial situation or do you feel because of the run that they had under McCann that it obviously proved that it was the right move at the end of the day to to bring him in and they were getting results as well? You have to put a caveat on it. It's not as if John Robertson was sacked or resigned, he's taken a leave of absence. And the reasons for that are entirely understandable, but it's not been an easy situation for anyone at the club to deal with. I look at Neil McCann and, and Billy Dodds. They've come in and done a very good job in very difficult circumstances. We'll never know if it would have turned out any differently, but you, you can't dismiss the, this. It, it was, it's been a far from ideal situation from a club perspective I mean I, I think when you look at the job Neil McCann and as third he said Billy Dodds obviously coming in as well I think you've got to say overall they've done a good job I mean the circumstances are hugely trying and pretty unique really and I mean I hope I would, we've said it before but I would say it again and I think we hope John Robertson and Scott Kelly, Kelleher are both doing okay and can things are improving for them and you know Neil McCann he came in and it's I mean again it's not really a position a scenario that you could ever really expect for him or for anybody on the outside you know to be coming in in those circumstances and you don't know potentially how long you might be tasked with the job and things like that and he's done he's I think again he's He's done a very good job and the players have as well in terms of responding to him and trying to get Inverness in, into those playoff spots and 
unfortunately they just haven't quite made it. It would appear now that there's there probably have to be some decisions made on the on the squad for next season as well. They've got a significant number of, of players out of contracts, guys like Sean Welsh, Nikolai Todorov, Aaron Doran. And it's a bit of a difficult situation. Obviously, I imagine John Robertson will have some input in that at the moment. Obviously, they signed David Carson to a three-year extension um, the other week. But it's going to be, I think it's going to be a busy few weeks and um, whatnot ahead for, for Inverness, particularly on the admin side of things and trying to get guys tied down and potentially looking at um, looking at new recruits. You're right. You've touched on it. There are decisions that need to be made. And the first decision is who's going to be making those calls about the players at the club. I'm also curious about what's the ramifications of missing out on promotion again for Carly Thistle. I think they'll do well to maintain the budget that they've got, which surely must be up there in terms of the other sides in the division looking at next season. I mean, Hearts and Dundee have been the top two this year. They might go up. We don't know. Uh, well, certainly Hearts are going up. Um, if it's Hamilton coming down, then I think that's much of a muchness with, with Inverness. Ross County or Kilmarnock, if they were to drop down, they would prob- they would have a bigger budget than what Carlin Thistle have. But in terms of the rest of the teams in the division, I think Inverness could hold their own financially against the, their rivals next season. Well, that's the thing. I think there's a lot to, to like about Inverness in terms of the squad they have just now. I mean, Nikolai Todorov's one that you mentioned that's out of contract. I think everyone at the Caledonian Stadium would be desperate to see him stay. The, the form he's shown in the, the second half of the season... And I mean, the other thing, you sort of touched on it a wee bit there, Paul, but with the Championship next season, regardless of who comes down, there's not really, for the first time in quite a few years, there's not really what you would call a behemoth in there. There's not, you know, a, a Hearts, Hibs, Dundee United, even Rain, you know, Rangers were in it not so long ago. It's probably a, a more, you know, a more open Championship potentially than it's been for a while. I mean, if Dundee are still in the league next season, you'd probably say they were kind of the the biggest, probably the biggest club in it. But can I think it's a more, next season's championship will be slightly different in terms of maybe being harder to call. Because I think when you looked at the start of this season, Hearts were very clear favourites to, to win the league and that's how it's transpired. Over the bridge, you've also got Ross County, who've been out of action since last Wednesday. They are back on Saturday in another kind of crucial, uh, crucial game at the bottom of the table um, against Dundee United. I mean, is it is it just simple? Is it just as simple as just win? Yes, <laughs> it's massive for County. There's no doubt. There's no doubt about that. Kilmarnock are scoring goals again. They put three past Dundee United a week ago. Admittedly, Mickey Mellon had one eye on the quarter final at Petodri, but if the same United played at Petaudry on Sunday, turn up at Tannadice this weekend. The Starkeys are facing a huge test. I think we're mighty close to winner bus territory for John Hughes' team at this point. What I would say about that, you're saying about the same Dundee United turning up at Tannadice against Ross County, Paul, I think it's slightly be more difficult for Dundee United to play in the same way because playing at Tannadice, more of the onus will be on them to have more of the ball and break down Ross County rather than at Petaudry where, you know, the Dons were having the bulk of the ball and United were able to press high up the park. I don't think they'll be able to do as much of that on against Ross County because they'll have more of the ball. But to me, I've said it for much of the season and I'll say it again, 
if Ross County can keep, they've got three games left. If Ross County can keep three clean sheets, I think they'll stay in the Premiership because there is goals in their side. They'll doesn't matter what game they've played this season. They've always been a threat at some point in the ninety minutes, but it's at the back where the problems lie. And if they can find a way against Dundee United, Hamilton and Motherwell to keep three clean sheets, then I think they'll come out with three wins from from those games. And that I know it's Kilma- you need Kilmarnock to drop points somewhere, but I think if County could get three clean sheets and th- three wins, then they'll be safe. Would staying up constitute a successful season for County, say, given they had the change of manager early in the season, or should County be looking for for more than that? Given they've struggled all season and had a change of manager, I think Roy McGregor, the chairman, would be thrilled if Ross County end it all by staying in the Premiership. Should they be looking for more? I don't know. They need to be better defensively, as Callum just touched on, because they've been a mile off it from what's required at Premiership standard. And if certainly if you want to be competitive and away from the bottom three positions in the league, you've got to be far more solid than Ross County you've been all season. You mentioned, Jamie, because of the change of manager and things, what I would say is look at the reason why the manager was changed. Because they were in a, a relegation battle. So to me, the, you know, the change to bring in John Hughes was made to try and ensure they stayed up. So if the Stargies do stay up, then I think... And as far as John Hughes goes, it's job done. And as far as Ross County as a club go, that's you can tick that off as a not. I mean, not. I wouldn't say can one of the great seasons or anything like that. But you could say that was a an adequate season because they've they've kept their place in the top flight. I do think the post split fixtures haven't helped Ross County at all. I mean, if you look, game one was a draw at Kilmarnock and then a ten day wait to play Saint Mirren. And it's been another 10-day wait to then go to United. Then they'll have another 10-day wait to play again. It's it's horrendous. And they've, they've taken one point from the first two matches, which shows they're a side without any rhythm at the minute. The only positive I can see is that Hamilton Ackies have been in the same boat because they were knocked out of the Scottish Cup. Kilmarnock are the team I, I fancy to stay up at this point because at least they have the advantage of having been playing in the Scottish Cup up until last night. The margin is so slim at the bottom of the tail where you're looking for whatever advantage you can get. And right now, I don't think County have many going for, for them at all. One one positive I would draw, perhaps, for County when you look at Kilmarnock is from watching bits of their game last night and from reading one or two things this morning, it seems like Kyle Lafferty could be out for the re- remainder of the season, which is a huge blow to Tommy Wright's side. but And as far as County goes, not that I'd ever wish anybody to be injured, but as far as County go, in a way, it's maybe what they deserve, because if you cast your mind back to the 2-2 draw at Rugby Park, I don't think there's any doubt Kyle Lafferty should have been sent off for his elbow and Ian Vigers. He wasn't. And then in the game that followed, when really he should have been suspended... He scored a hat trick against Dundee, or he scored goals against Dundee United to help them get that crucial win. So I think if if he is out for the season, at least can it maybe not that it really is a ma- maybe a massive help, but it's a bit of kind of 
fairness to, for County in a way, given that he should he shouldn't have been in my view anyway, he shouldn't have been able to play in that game against Dundee United. Almost County being a little bit of a similar situation to Inverness in the managerial respect as well, because obviously there would need to be a decision made with regards to John Hughes as well in the in the coming weeks. And again, looking towards building the squad for for next season, there'll probably be guys there that are wanting to know where they're going to be for next season and if if John Hughes is going to be in charge of the team or not. You have to give it to Yogi, don't you? Anyone disputing? Yogi should keep that job, whatever happens. I think, Thirdy, it's kind of cut and dried in that if they stay up, I think John Hughes carries on. If they go down, I think Roy McGregor might look elsewhere. Probably kind of along the same lines as, as Callum there. I think if he stay, if he stays up, then um, it gives them it gives them a reason to to keep him on. But I wouldn't again if they do go down. I wouldn't entirely be surprised if they if they keep him on. I don't like apart from the kind of the, the disastrous experiment with Owen Coyle. I don't think Roy McGregor likes to change managers too often. So if he even if John Hughes does kind of go down with the club, then I think there's there's a reasonable chance that he may he may keep the job next season and try and bring them back up again. And that concludes part two of the podcast. And part three, we'll run through a busy week for our lower league clubs. I'm going to run through the busy week of action for our lower league clubs. And we'll start with the closest to where we are just now, which is Cove Rangers. Um, we've got a huge game against Partick Thistle on Tuesday night. They were very impressive in the down and in the draw at Falkirk, which I went to on, on Saturday in their first game of the of the split. Um, and it could well be a, a dress rehearsal for the for the playoffs. I mean, from from the game on Saturday and obviously the game tonight, guys. I mean, how are we gauging Cove's chances for the running? Having the four point cushion really puts Partick in the driving seat. I think if Partick win tonight, they are champions. For me, if Cove win, clearly it's still all there for them. Uh, I still ultimately believe the playoffs will be what Cove have to settle for, but. Obviously, I would be delighted to be wrong in that count. Yeah. They've had a very good season. They've exceeded my expectations, and I'm sure that of many others. We talked about the championship just a, a few minutes ago, and there's been a clear couple of big sides and hearts in Dundee. It's been the same with Partick and Falkirk in the championship. So for Cove to be splitting them with, what, three games to go, it's a terrific achievement. I think, firstly... You look at co well. You look at all the low, the league one and two sides with their sort of post split schedule, but specifically Cove having the Saturday, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday finish. I mean, it's that kind of schedule just for all for league one and two ridiculous, and I think the SPFL and SFA really should be embarrassed by what they've sort of made those clubs and players who are the bulk of them part-time go through. It also makes me laugh as well when you hear, uh, I've heard certain managers recently in the, the Premiership complaining about fatigue and one thing and another when, you know, if you if you look down the divisions, I think you'd find you maybe don't have it quite so bad. But actually talking about Cove, I mean, to be in with a live chance, uh, still winning the League One title with three games to go is a great achievement. And I mean, They've shown in the previously they're capable of beating Park Thistle. They beat them the last time Thistle were at the Balmoral Stadium, and if they could pull off a similar result tonight, it would really throw the the pigeons in among the cart in terms of the 
the title race and I mean it's it's very difficult to call and can all these sides are pretty despite Falkirk and Partick being full time the, the sides in the top five are all pretty evenly matched so it, it's kind of difficult to tell I, I, if you're asking me right now I think playoffs is probably where Cove will end up but it wouldn't totally surprise me at all if they went and took seven points at a nine or even nine points at a nine from these last three games and, and potentially did end up winning the league. Yeah, I think tonight's going to be the the big one. If they can beat Partick Thistle and it might just give them the momentum to to roll through the rest of the week. And they are in the strange position where um, after Saturday, that's them done. And then they've got kind of like a two or three day wait um, where they, they'll kind of have to sit and and wait for the results on the on the Tuesday night to see if they'll go up as as champions or not. Um, if they'd won all four of the games, then it would have been done and dusted on the on the Saturday. But with it, the kind of the draw against Falkirk and the gap being at four points, it would then come down to the the final games on the Tuesday night. Um, on the flip side of that, if they do end up in the playoffs, they are going to have a few days extra rest between that and the following the following weekend. Um, which be which could prove hugely beneficial, say after coming through four games in a week, where you're already kind of like asking your squad to do a lot for part-time players. Um, so to kind of give them any break possible would, I'm sure the manager and the and the coaching staff would be immensely grateful for that. There could be a few nails being bitten ne- next Tuesday night uh, for people of a, a cove persuasion potentially. If they, I mean, I, I think it could it could be really exciting as well, Jamie, if they go and. Cove do well in these last three games and sort of set a target, I suppose, can for other teams to potentially try and catch. You could have a a sort of thrilling conclusion to the season, even though they're not playing, but could still be a thrilling conclusion to the season next Tuesday for them. There'll be nails nails bitten in the Cove boardroom and in our uh, editorial department as well. If we're, <laughs> if we're having to wait on Cove being called called champions at ten pm on a, on an evening. Um, We'll move on to uh, Elgin, who I've seen action tonight. They start their split run away at Stranra. Um They'd kind of stumbled into the kind of the end of the season after a few defeats. Um, they picked up a, a kind of a creditable draw away at Queen's Park, but you feel like they need to pick up a, a couple of wins to to kind of get this playoff charge some momentum again. I'd agree with that. I mean, we mentioned Ross County earlier, and when I look at Elgin, I do see this family as winner bust territory now. I don't think a draw helps them at all tonight. While defeat is going to leave them on the outside looking in with three games left. They've got it all to do. They've got to win. And I have to say I am a little bit fearful that they've hit a sticky patch at the worst possible time, despite that well-earned point at Queen's Park a week ago. That's that's the thing. I mean, you look at the table as it stands when we record this. Strandrar fourth, Elgin fifth, five points between them. I mean, it's as you said, thirty a draw is probably not particularly helpful, but certainly to me they can't. Aff- I mean, a win's really what they need, but they can't afford to get beat. If they get beat, then I think it's just a bit over, uh, really for for Elgin. But if they, I mean, the other thing as well is, and Stranraer had it to be fair not so long ago they had to come up on a a Tuesday night to play at Borough Briggs, but Elgin away to Stranraer on a a Tuesday night it really is for you know for everyone involved i think it's the stuff of nightmares almost is it it's the i mean it's the the, lo- the longest journey in the spfl and that's 
twice now that one for each side they've had to do it in a midweek which you know it's just bizarre really and not well it's nothing that those involved can do about it but it's just not not a great look again I don't think for our game unfortunately sending Elgin down to Steyr Park in midweek but I mean if they could go and win it's very much game on but it's just worrying I think they've hit us since coming back really from the sort of two month shutdown they've never quite managed to build up the same momentum that they had before everything was stopped in January and just recently the point against Queen's Park aside they hit a real sort of they've hit a real sort of flat spot you know losses to Cowdenbeath and Albion Rovers and Stenhouse Muir and no disrespect but these are sides that have finished in the bottom half and they were the sort of games you were looking at thinking Elgin can pick up quite a lot of points from those games so to not have done that it's kind of put the pressure on themselves but in saying that again when I look at Elgin you think threat going forward with uh, with the players they've got Kane Hester's obviously scored a lot of goals and you look at their midfield guys like Russell Dingwall I think has been excellent this season from uh, what I've seen in red and I mean Brian Cameron as well sort of Mr. Reliable Mr. Consistent for Elgin so there is there is in my mind definitely the quality to finish in the playoffs but it's a it's a big game tonight certainly in that quest and kind of similar to Cove they've they've now got four games in seven days as well obviously they had the first match day off at the weekend but they now play um, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, Tuesday um, so they've got four games to rattle off in a week when you maybe you're obviously desperate for for points to try and achieve those uh, those end of season goals, so it's not going to be if they're going to do it, they're not going to do it the easy way. Couldn't agree more. It's uh, <laughs> it's part part time level, a small squad. It's a huge test. They're really up against it. It would be quite an achievement. Let's put it that way. If Elgin can pull this off, then it's a round of applause. I think because that's that would be really some achievement in the, the circumstances they're facing making up that gap and in such a short space of time. Uh, you're spot on, 30. On to the final of our low league clubs, to Peterheads. Uh, they are not in action on Tuesday night. Um, they're back back in action on Thursday against East Fife, but on Saturday they picked up a thumping 3-0 win over Clyde. Uh, Callum, you're, you're at the game. Do you feel that result is enough to make them safe now? Uh, you would say just about. I mean, they could in theory be safe come time up tonight if Forfar beat Dumbarton then they, w- then they will be safe but uh, I mean really kind of if you're Peter Hedge you're not uh, you're not looking at that and sort of you know th- thinking about that result they've got East Fife on Thursday Forfar Saturday and then Dumbarton next Tuesday and if they win one of those three games they will be in they will be in League One next season they've just sort of Return to form really at the best possible time. Six points out of six from home games against Falkirk and Clyde, which I think before the two games, not not too many people might have forecasted. So they've uh, done well. I mean, certainly on Saturday, deserved their win. I mean, Clyde rarely, rarely threatened Lenny Wilson's goal. I mean, even you know the David Goodwillie in their side who is always a threat, but he was well shackled and going forward Peter Head 
didn't have an abundance of chances, but the ones the ones they got, they took. I mean, Scott Brown converts a penalty, and Hamish Ritchie fast becoming the uh, almost the the star of this second half of the season with two goals again. He's the League One Superman for Peterhead. I mean, I haven't seen the blue tune since we came back from the the enforced winter break, shall we say, due to COVID. But I see his name every week. But what's the story with this guy, and are they going to be able to keep him? Well, the the story with him, first of all, thirdly, is he's just, I mean, so composed. Jim McAnally actually came out with a great line after the game on uh, Saturday. He was telling us at half time when he was nil nil, and he tried his before they went back out for the second half. He light lightened the mood by having a pop at Hamish about his. Lack of composure, and I believe he said, "You're like you're like a bag of joggies. Any chance of putting your foot on the ball and actually playing?" And Hamish is being quite a sort of uh, on guy. I think could uh, for about ten seconds thought Jim McAnally was being serious, but then all of the rest of the dressing room burst out laughing because they could all uh, see quite clearly it was a joke. Because any time I've seen him, really, just doesn't give the ball away you now. It doesn't really matter where he seems to take it or anything. He just can play with, take it with their foot, turn his man, keep it, just do whatever. I mean, his third goal on his well, the third goal, his second on Saturday, he pressed one of Clyde's centre backs, picks up a short back pass, and just sort of strolled really into the box by a couple of challenges and put it in the net. And there's just sort of that, um, Ken. That's just what I, you know. That's just what I do. Almost, it's no problem in terms of keeping him. I mean, I think they would, they would obviously love to keep him, but you know, he's a at the end of the day. He, at the end of the day, just now, he's an Inverurie Locos player. Whether it can, whether a deal can be struck, or whether he wants to can would want to continue playing in League One. That's sort of things for the. The player and the the two clubs to sort out, but I think there's no doubt he's uh, shown that he can more than hold his own at, at League One level because he's been a revelation since he came in. Really, done the uh, the tour of Northeast clubs this season, hasn't he? As well, because he had a loan spell at, at Cove Rangers as well early in the season when the Highland League was on shutdown. Aye, aye. And below below the uh, the SPFL, we're obviously still waiting for an answer on the on the pyramid playoff. It was there was a meeting last Monday with. Um, the SPFL board to hopefully determine whether the the playoff between the winner of the Highland and Lowland leagues and Club Forty Two would take place. Um, a close of play Monday this week. We still yet to hear anything. Um, I don't think the clubs um, had had any communication from the SPFL either, which you imagine has to bring a real sense of frustration given they are back training and they're paying um, well. A, the figure that's been banded about is £2,000 a week to, to test players so they can train for a game that they don't know when and, and where it's going to take place. I mean, the initial concern was obviously that where were the clubs in League 2 going to be able to play their 22 games? And I mean, now that looks looks likely. It's then been, kind of, there's been further kind of mud thrown into the water by Breakin arguing that it shouldn't take place and that, there should be reconstruction, and there seems to be a lot of stuff being thrown at thrown at the wall here in the hope that that something sticks. Um, and again, I've said this before: the longer it goes on without a confirmation of a game, the less and less optimistic I am that, that it's actually going to go ahead. I just think this is an absolute disgrace. 
I mean, Jamie, you mentioned the the meeting. Well, it's eight days ago now. A week, a week yesterday, the Monday SPFL meeting. We were sitting there waiting for news, and you're seeing the SPFL coming out with statements about the European Super League and fairness and football and competition and all this and, and all this moral high ground rubbish, quite frankly. And then they still can't tell Brora and Kelty what if if they're going to be allowed to play off as is, should be their right and also when the games might take place. It's just absolutely ridiculous. And I'm, I'm led to believe the initially, legally, the SPFL, I imagine it sort of Brechin's behest, were questioning sort of the... the um, Legality. Aye, they, they've completely lost the word, but thank you for that, Thuddy. Of of the SFA sort of saying, of the Highland and Lowland League declaring their champions and the SFA saying to the SPFL, there's the, the champions for the playoffs. And I believe they're now, the SPFL's now seeking a second legal opinion on this. To me, there's absolutely no debate or anything needs to happen how the Highland and Lowland League arrived at their champions is nothing to do with the SPFL. The as I understand it and from what I've been told, the constitution and the setup of the playoffs is regardless of what happens, if the SFA recognise those are the Highland League champions and those are the Lowland League champions, they have to go forward and compete in the playoffs. No ifs, no buts. That's what should happen. And when it comes to the reconstruction side of it, I think everyone would accept if there was one time when reconstruction should have happened, it was last year, to save any team being worse off. And I would include Brora and Kelty in that. They, To me, they should have had the chance to come into the setup last year because they never got a shot at the playoffs. And it, we all know now it didn't happen. So I don't think, when it didn't happen last year, when I think so many people could see it was merited, I don't see what chance it's got happening this year. You've stolen my thunder here, Callum. The joke <laughs> continues for me, as far as this is concerned. I got really hot under the collar talking about this a week ago at the end of the the episode, and the last seven days have done little to make me any calmer. Um, it's outrageous, disgraceful stuff. To be fair, and Breakin's appeal for fairness is a joke. Where was their appeal for fairness 12 months ago when they avoided a playoff? They can get in the bin with that sort of chatter. I'm telling you that right now. Kelty and Brora are champions of the respective leagues. It was decided the same way the SPFL decided which clubs would be champions of the respective divisions within their competitions a year ago. And in all likelihood, Breakin are bottom. Now get the damn playoff scheduled. Well, I would say damn in a podcast. <laughs> I, th- I think so. Could have said a lot worse. We're not going for the explicit uh, <laughs> lyrics episode here. I was going to say, the, reading the breaking statement as well, I had to have a little chuckle saying that they they supported, basically they supported the pyramid playoff and the structure, but not this season, which, uh, <laughs> which again, it just kind of smacks of, of self-interest, really. You know, the, on a not that it's really a laughing matter, but on a a lighter note, I still, for the life of me, can't understand why your Amazon Primes or your Netflix or whoever <laughs> have not either tried to do a behind-the-scenes documentary or done a, t- a done a drama about everything that has happened. 
in Scottish football really since March 2020 to now because, I mean, some of this stuff has been so far-fetched, I suppose, if you pitched it in, in the creative world, you'd be la- you'd be laughed out of the place, I would imagine. But it's just, that's just the, the latest e- episode and how, how can Scottish football make itself look terrible? I mean, the same, I know it's pretty minor and all of this, but again, going back to the European Super League, you're looking at, uh, you're looking at, um, social media and things and there was all those tweets about that's not football this is football etc and the spfl jumping on the bandwagon and again they're still not in a position to tell brora and keltley whether they'll be allowed to play off it's just scandalous i don't think uh, scottish football does anything better than administrative drama you've had you've had missing <laughs> emails you've had um leaked board meetings and um, non board meetings <laughs> over the over the last year appeals conspiracies it's uh, we've had the uh, the full works that's other joke with the super league to be fair it, it was going to be 13 teams rather than 12 but they're still waiting on dundee's email coming back <laughs> On that note. <laughs> oh, that concludes today's episode of Northern Goal. Uh, thank you again to, to Paul and Callum for your fascinating insight, as always. No bother. You're welcome. If you want to get in touch with the show, email northerngoal at dctmedia.co.uk. And if you like the podcast and want to leave a rating or review, you can do so on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Stay safe, and we'll catch up with you again soon. Hope you loved the episode, and if you did, we'd be grateful if you could leave us a review or rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to pick up your copies of the Press and Journal and Evening Express every day for the best football writing and analysis in the North.